The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ken Weber. He is a financial advisor. Uh, he has a, a firm called Weber Asset Management, and he's come out with a new book called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? Welcome to the show, Ken. Thank you, Jordan. It's good to connect with you after all these years. Let's just start with a little bit of your background. Uh, you've been managing money for a long time, but kind of give us a brief uh, idea of your history leading into your firm and then why yep. you wanted to do this book. Um, investing had been a hobby for much of my life, and I was a successful business person. And um, about 30 years ago, I said to my wife, people are getting hurt by certain types of financial professionals. I'm going to start a newsletter to help people stop getting, uh, well, the word I use is screwed, by brokers and certain uh, other financial professionals. Uh, I said it'll take me, oh, two or three days a month to write this newsletter. And uh, I started with 12 subscribers, and it grew up to 5,000 subscribers, and it was real easy to follow. But uh, a few people said, Ken, do it for us. And I said, you don't need me. It's all in the newsletter. But they insisted and that's how Weber Asset started about 25 years ago. Now, you use exclusively Fidelity mutual funds. Why do you uh, restrict yourself only to Fidelity when there's all kinds of good funds out there? Great question. My partner is Jack Bowers. Uh, he writes Fidelity Monitor and Insight newsletter. He's the editor-publisher of that newsletter. <clears throat> His newsletter goes back about uh, almost 30 years, and uh, it's been ranked by the Holbert Financial Digest, uh, number one for risk-adjusted performance over 25 years. It actually dropped down to number three, but that's among all investment newsletters uh, over a 25-year period. So I say the proof is in the pudding. Our philosophy simply is that you can try and follow a universe of thousands of stocks or bonds or mutual funds. We prefer to focus on basically the largest fund family, we have no connection to them. We're completely independent of Fidelity. But by following 150 or so funds and knowing those funds inside and out, uh, we have produced uh, superior results, past performance, not a guarantee of the future, but we have a, a, a long-term track record that I'm very proud of. And do you do exchange-traded funds, uh, closed-end funds as well, or only open-end funds? We don't do any closed-end funds. We have... Uh, and you could label this under breaking news <laughs> for the Jordan Goodman Show. Uh, we have just started to uh, begun uh, some portfolios of ETFs. Okay. And then, I mean, there's been a lot of criticism of traditional mutual funds lately, saying the vast majority have not outperformed the indexes, and their uh, management fees are much higher than ETFs. So a lot of money that used to go into mutual funds has been going into ETFs. Why do you, for the most part, still recommend a traditional open-end uh, no-load funds. goes back to the proof is in the pudding. Uh, when Jack Bowers and I started Weber Asset Management, 
Uh, we couldn't wait till we had a, a five-year track record. Now we have, uh, you know, a 20-plus-year track record. And uh, I can tell you all the clients who have been with us for that time who have not panicked during the downturns, who stayed in the various models that we've recommended for those clients, uh, many of them have, are 100 to 200 percentage points ahead of the S&P net after fees. And that's just using Fidelity Funds actively managed uh, no-load Fidelity Mutual Funds. I'll, I'll just expand on that a little bit more. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, lots of funds have high expense ratios, as, as you well know. Um, no matter how low Fidelity Funds uh, uh, fee expenses are going to be on the regular mutual funds, they're not going to be as low as an index fund. But Jack and I are believers in research, and if you can find the best fund managers at the right time and make very carefully selected trades now and then, not often, but now and then, uh, you can, over the long run, produce superior results. Again, the proof is in the, in the pudding. Uh, certainly, Jack is doing it, and it's publicly verified. And by the way, Jack is my partner and chief investment strategist for Weber Asset Management. So tell people a little bit about if they come to your website to uh, Weber, W-E-B-E-R, asset.com, uh, how do you uh, separate your recommendations? Do you have aggressive, moderate, conservative, or how do you uh, separate We actually have, uh, that's one of the things people ask us who've been reading, uh, for example, the Fidelity Monitor newsletter. They say, well, you know, how, why should I come to Weber instead of just following the newsletter? And I say, listen, you're more than welcome to follow the newsletter. But the other answer is we have about 20 two different models. The newsletter has about five models. So we can, uh, I'm part of my job as a registered investment advisor is to get to know you as an individual client. Whoever comes to us fills out an, in, uh, an individual uh, profile and we go through that point by point and I figure out which of our models is right for that client. I make a recommendation, not a dollar is invested until the client says, Ken, that sounds exactly right. And if it doesn't, we just keep talking until we come to an agreement. So you are not doing the newsletter at all anymore. You're only doing the asset management. Is that correct? Right. I, I did Weber's fund advisor for about ten years, but I stopped that uh, in the late in the early 1990s. Yeah, then, in the early 1980s so your, to the early 90s, about ten years. Yeah. In your money management business, what is the minimum amount that you'll take, and what kind of fees do you charge? Uh, we have a $200,000 minimum. Our fee is roughly uh, around 1% per year. And by the way, when a prospective client contacts us, uh, unlike many firms in the business, we always send out a track record of three of our most popular models. Uh, we don't change those <laughs> models. There's no cherry picking. Uh, we've sent out the same models. And you can see good, bad, and ugly, the, you know, what we've done year by year. And it's, it's all there. It's net of fees. And I always say whether we charge 1% or 10%, net is net. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, right. the argument against a, a, a Jack Bogle from Vanguard would say you're charging a 1% fee. Uh, Fidelity funds themselves might be charging 1%, one, 1.5%, one depending on the fund. There's some kind of un so you're, you've got 2 percent 2 before you even get started that you have to overcome in performance compared to an index fund. So you're saying you're able to deliver that consistently over index funds in the way you pick Fidelity funds? Once again, <laughs> it's there. Uh, you know, the Holbert Financial Digest is uh, a Dow Jones publication that's respected throughout the industry. I know you know the name, the Holbert Financial Digest. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, they track 
the recommendations of every major investment newsletter out there. And uh, when I started with Jack, he was my competitor, my direct competitor. I had my newsletter. He had his newsletter. Uh, and uh, I said, well, I'm good, but he's better. And he had a five-year track record. And now, thank God, knock on wood, no guarantee for the future. But 25 years later, he's still basically top of the heap and still beating the Jack Bogles of the world who say uh, smart investment research doesn't pay. You know, at what point does, does the Bogle argument start to fall apart after one year, three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years? We're talking 25 years, Jordan, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. very good. So, so, so at some point, at some point I, I have to say, gee, I kind of have the numbers on my side to make that argument. Look, if it wasn't for Jack Bowers and, and, and you know, what we do in our office here, yeah, if you just come to me off the street, what should I do? There's nothing wrong with being in a good index fund or a, a group of index funds, funds so you stay diversified. But, um, you know, when it comes to you can't beat the market, sorry, we win that argument. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, what is the reason that research beats the indexes in the long run? I mean, there's so much money now in index funds, and ETFs seem to have a major influence on the stock market day to day. What, what is the argument that research ultimately beats the indexes? You know, it's not research. It's, it's good research. <laughs> you know, so uh, I always point out, Listen, one of my favorite things to do, I know you do uh, financial seminars, and I do a few now and then as well. One of my favorite things to do at a financial seminar is to say, how many of you in the audience work with an investment professional? Most of the hands go up. How many of you believe that your professional can beat the market? The same hands go up. And as you know, uh, by definition, you you know, the average uh, person cannot beat the averages. You know, uh, the S&P doesn't have any expenses, so the average investment professional cannot beat, for example, the S&P, which is nothing more than an amalgam of what all the top professionals are doing and thinking. Uh, But there always will be the outliers who say, don't do this, don't do that. Jack, I will say this. Jack is an electrical engineer by training. My background uh, was in uh, communications and theater uh, we came to, the, and these were, we were passionate about investing many, many years ago, decades ago. And so we weren't trained in the, the ordinary ways that everybody's trained. We came at, came at it from the outside. We didn't, did not have blinders on. And we said, well, people are doing it this way. What about that way? And again, lo and behold, after, uh, you know, 25, 30 years, uh, the numbers are on our side. So we're going to talk in detail about the book after the break here, but just give me an idea of why you thought it was important to write this book called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? The book, Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing, is, uh, and the subtitle is Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money. Uh, I wrote it out of frustration. Uh, Jordan, there's a lot of smart people out there who who have uh, reasonable-sized nest eggs who just keep making the same mistakes, uh, or they make uh, no mistakes, and then they make a big mistake. And so rather than just uh, hanging up the phone or saying goodbye to a client uh, in person uh, and then venting, I said, i got to get this into a, into a book. I, want, so I really want to help people. That's, that's the simple answer. Yeah. Uh, at the, the beginning of the book, you, you have what you call great expectations. So what do you mean by the great expectations that investors have going into investing usually? 
Well, listen, everybody comes in at it differently. Uh, the expectations for a 25-year-old are going to be different than a 65-year-old. Uh, so, so one of the important things that any registered investment advisor does is to help set the expectations, to do some basic education to figure out, okay, who am I talking to? What has been their past history with investing, if they have one? And uh, what do I need to work on to, to bolster the logical side of the brain as opposed to the emotional side of, of the brain? And, uh, you know, so setting expectations, and there's a reason it's an early chapter in the book, uh, is important. Setting ex- expectations, understanding what the limitations of investing are, uh, is, is critical to long-term success. I'm so sure you agree with that. that. With interest rates very low, basically at zero today, uh, that you should expect a lot less from your investments and that the long-term rate of return of stocks is going to be a lot lower than traditionally 10 11%, and your expectations should be much lower today. Would you agree with that, or do you think that's not correct? Actually, we just had a representative from Fidelity here this morning uh, giving us uh, some of their uh, firm's top thinking. Um, <clears throat> they, they are looking at a 6% to 7% um, uh, return on the stock market for the next 20 years. That's, that's the average they're looking at. That may or may not be true. I mean, it might be 4%, it might be 9%. We don't know. But I think we can make a, an educated guess and say over the next 5, 10, 15 years, the likelihood is that a carefully chosen, diversified investment portfolio is going to outperform uh, taxes and inflation. And that's what you need to do. You can't let purchasing power decline and not be in something that's going to outpace that if you're going to have a secure retirement. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ken Weber. His new book is called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money. Uh, you can find out more about Ken at his website, which is Weber, W-E-B-E-R, asset.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. 
Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ken Weber. He's an investment advisor. Uh, his uh, web, his um, uh, asset management firm is called Weber Asset Management, and he has a new book out called What the Hell Are Investors Thinking? Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money, and you can find out more about him at his website, which is Weber, W-E-B-E-R, asset.com. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Thank you. I'll just slightly correct uh, the title of the book is Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? There we go. We start with the Dear Investor. Yes. All righty. So, uh, okay, in Chapter 2, you talk about the mental mistakes uh, that people make often. And and let's start off with mental mistake number one. What is that one? Uh, Let's see. That's the impulse to act now on your one big investment opportunity. Uh, Yeah, but let, let me just back up a little bit here and say, I wrote the book because uh, I couldn't take it anymore after years of talking to people. Most of our clients are coast-to-coast. I only have the pleasure of meeting about 10% of my clients face-to-face. So I'm constantly on the phone with clients, and uh, I hang up the phone, and uh, you know, I'm talking to really intelligent people, but I hang up the phone, and I say, what the hell is she thinking or he thinking? And I couldn't keep doing that, and uh, that's why the book, that's how the book came to be. I didn't want uh, people to keep making those same mistakes over and over. So every, everything in here, in it, is based on talking to real people, real investors. Yes. Right, so the impulse so, to act now is the idea is if they don't get it now, they're going to miss out on this huge opportunity. You see newsletters promoting things all the time, you know, the next Apple, the next Microsoft kind of thing, and, and people yeah. get sucked into this. Is that, that the, uh, the problem? That, that's the uh, essence of that uh, mental mistake, number one. And that, by the way, ties into another chapter later on, about the hype, you know, you mentioned uh, newsletters and things people get uh, by email about this great opportunity. So it's either something you read or some person uh, in front of you or on the phone, you know, or maybe even your own research that says, uh, I have to act in the next day or two days, you know, or the next 10 minutes. Uh, no, there's always opportunities. There will always be opportunities. And so you have to resist that urge to uh, to, to jump into something before you've done uh, all your homework. And even TV, I mean, when you see CNBC and places like that, there are people hyping stocks all the time. The stocks do jump on their appearances on TV shows. Is that something you should not go along with? Uh, we don't want to men- mention any names, <clears throat> Jim Cramer, but uh, it's something that does bother me now and again. Uh, it, <laughs> you know, when you go on... These, uh, when you watch those shows and, and they have a new recommendation every three or four minutes, um, it, it's easy to make a recommendation for a stock or even a mutual fund or some other investment. Where's the follow-up? Where's the, where's the uh, follow-up to say, but you get out now, 
you know, and then you got to get into something else now, and then you got to get out of that now. Uh, you can't be investing that way. Um, it, it's, it's almost a sure path to, to uh, financial destruction by following tips uh, that you see on television or hear on the radio or, uh, you know, get an email that, that says you have to act quickly. No, you never have to act quickly. Never. All right. Then tell me what mental mistake number two is. <clears throat> Focusing on dollars, not percentages. And um, that is actually a very timely one. A woman, a, cl a client of ours, just called us this morning, and she looked at her statement from last month, said uh, she's down $6,000. You have to focus on percentages, not dollars. <clears throat> uh, everything is percentage. Everything, uh, and by the way, a little pet peeve of mine is how the media focuses on the Dow was up uh, 300 points or the Dow was down 1,000 points for the week. What does that mean to the average person? It means nothing. It means nothing. It, if it's not percentages, you have no way of understanding. What does that mean to me? If you see the Dow is up 2% or your portfolio is up 2%, you have an idea what that means. Everybody's the same. Your 2% is going to be the same as my 2%. But to say the S&P is, is down 3 and the Dow is down 40 and the NASDAQ is down 50, it's apples to oranges to kumquats. So everything, the, the, the leveler is percentages, percentage numbers, not raw numbers. To say I'm down $6,000, if it's a $20,000 nest egg, is terrible. But if it's a $2 million nest egg, it's meaningless. The percentage yeah. is what counts. And then what and, and if I start yelling, stop me, okay? Um, I apologize for yelling. I do get passionate about this stuff. I'm sorry. Passion, passion is good. Uh, what is <laughs> mental mistake number three? All right. Let's see if I'm going to... Go right out to that. Letting your ego dictate your investment decisions. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people, and I found this over and over, they see investment success as a reflection of how smart they are. And so if they are wrong, they've got to get in uh, to something bigger and better and, and shinier. Uh, no, ego has nothing to do with investments. Uh, the stock market doesn't care about me or you or anybody else. Uh, ego is something that can be very destructive, uh, and you may not even be aware that you're letting your ego slip into your investment decisions, which, by the way, is one of the reasons having a, an uh, objective financial advisor can sometimes be uh, helpful beyond just uh, you know the fee you pay them. It's to keep you from making the big mistake. It's an insurance policy of letting your ego or your emotions get in the way of smart investing. People kind of personify the stock market. I always say that a stock does not know the price at which you bought it or sold it. <laughs> People think, oh, it owes me at least back to even or something. It doesn't know you anything. Exactly. Uh, and I think I write about exactly that in the book. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I do, where people say, well, I'll just wait till it gets back to what I paid it. Uh, no. <laughs> you know, today that stock is a stock. It's an investment. So if you put in $10,000 and it's now worth eight, $8,000, well, that's what it's worth. It's $8,000 now. Is it a good investment today? And if it still is a good investment, you stay with it or that mutual fund. And if it's not, you get out of it. It has nothing to do with what you paid because, as you correctly say, the stock or mutual fund does not care what you paid. Indeed. Then what is mental mistake number four? Believing you can make up for lost time by investing more aggressively. At every step along every investor's life, there is a correct way to invest and an incorrect way to invest. 
it may be at your stage in life and you generically out there listening, uh, it is time for you to invest aggressively. And there are many factors that would go into that equation, but it may not be. And the fact that you have made some mistakes uh, or you've waited too long to start investing does not automatically mean, uh-oh, i got to be more aggressive. i got to step on the accelerator even more now to make up for lost time. You can't be doing that. There is a right way and a wrong way, and it's not based on when you got into the market or how much you previously lost. It's still a, carefully, it's still a, a process of careful selection. And, and careful, a lot of people, uh, go ahead. A lot of people who did start late and who maybe had money in CDs or money funds or cash earning pretty much nothing, and they see they, don't, they have a few years to go before retirement, they're not going to be able to make it if they don't have some big gains. What do you tell people that say, well, I've got to invest aggressively if I'm going to have enough money to live in retirement? Sometimes it's sad. I mean, sometimes I'm talking to a client and uh, I realize we're up against the wall here. So if they were going to be in a model, if my recommendation would have been in a model that's uh, a risk level of maybe uh, 40% less volatile than the S&P 500, you know, to use uh, industry jargon, a beta of maybe 0.6, 40% less volatile than the S&P 500. If they make a case that they really have to uh, try and make up for lost time, we may nudge it up to a 0.7 or 0.8, but it's still just going to be tweaking. You can't just uh, sit down in your car, you know, in the car seat, so to speak, and slam on the gas and say, I've got to uh, break the speed limit here and go at 85 instead of the recommended 65. You still have to be prudent in your investments no matter what. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to invest at any time in your life. And then what is mental mistake number five? Failing to learn from your mistakes. And uh, I I think this is one of my shortest. It's only sort of a paragraph and a half here in the book, but it's it's clearly one of the reasons I wrote the whole book. Because uh, we see people frequently making the same mistakes, uh, sometimes in the same month, and sometimes uh, the mistakes are separated by a year or two or three. But it's, uh, we keep notes on every client, and we realize, wait a minute, you made the same mistake a couple of years ago, and I was hoping you learned from it, but you haven't. So um, you've got Why to Why don't people I mean, learn from their mistakes? This is something for a psychologist or a psychiatrist, Jordan. <laughs> You're, you're you know, a financial psychologist here. Yeah, I, I wish I could give you an answer. Um, maybe it's going back to the ego question. You know, we don't want to re, we don't want to admit we're fallible. Uh, we don't want to admit that maybe somebody else was smarter than us and did it correctly, and 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 uh, we were just unlucky that time. Uh, you know, I'm sure there are many reasons why people uh, don't learn from their mistakes. But as an advisor, I'm not trying to dig deep into their uh, underlying psychoses, perhaps. All I'm trying to do is to say, look, here's what you need to do now, and here's how to do it correctly. So sometimes people learn the wrong thing. I mean, for example, people who uh, in 2008 sold at the bottom and you know, right. felt everything was safe, um, you know, now they're, they're totally petrified by the market. They, they don't want to go through that again, and they don't want to take a loss. So you can often take the wrong message from markets as well. How, how do you take the right message and, and take it going forward? There, you know, for every person, it's different. I mean, I'd love to give you a quick three-sentence uh, answer, but honestly, one of the things I've learned from dealing with investors day in and day out, uh, literally thousands of, of uh, conversations, 
is that everybody's different. I mean, I remember early in my career, uh, a person said to me, Ken, I'm just like everybody else. I want X, Y, and Z. And I realized, no, nobody is like everybody else. You know, how old are you? How many children do you have? Uh, what's, what are your assets? What are you saving for? What are your passions about life? Uh, what did you get burned in, in investing? What were you successful in? Um, what, what, what was your career if you're retired? What's your career now? Everybody has different factors that are going to affect them differently. And, and that's the job of an investment uh, advisor to dig down and find out who am I talking to and what are their specific needs. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ken Weber. Uh, He has an asset management firm called Weber Asset Management at WeberAsset.com. He he manages Fidelity Mutual Funds. He has a book out called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ken Weber. Uh, He runs an asset management firm called Weber Asset Management, where he manages Fidelity Mutual Funds. Uh, you can find out more about that at WeberAsset.com. And his new book is called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Jordan, I'm enjoying it. Thank you. 
So you have several what you call quick and dirty tips, the seven most common mistakes investors make. What is the first one of those? Yeah, let me just, before I even get to that, you know, the book is, I don't know, 25 chapters or so, and the first 23 are what not to do. (laughs) Only the last three to actually get to uh, what people should be doing. Uh, Okay, the first uh, quick and dirty tip is uh, chasing performance, colon, the Money Magazine Syndrome. Jordan, I know you're an ex-Money Magazine writer. Correct. So don't don't take this personally. I won't. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And I love Money Magazine. I loved it, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when I read it uh, regularly. I still read it when I can. Uh, It is a great publication. But um, people pick up the magazine or or Barron's or something like that, and they look for these lists of, you know, top-performing funds for the last week or month or uh, quarter, and I'm thinking, what, what are you supposed to do with that information? By the way, the ultimate example of that, uh, there's uh, one of the financial shows, uh, shows the top-performing mutual funds for the week. And I used to watch that every week, and I said, I must be dumb, because I have no idea what you're supposed to do with that information. You know, so you're saying chasing, chasing performance is a big problem for a lot of people. Chasing performance, yeah. So, so okay, so Fund X is, is number one for the last quarter. I better get into that. Well, it may be the best performer for the quarter because it was uh, completely in gold and gold soared. Uh, and then, well, you know, <laughs> you've been looking at fidelity funds for many years. Is that true that people tend to put assets into a fund that already, after it's already been up and it does tends not to replicate the performance after people get into it? That's true of fidelity funds, and that's true of every type of mutual fund out there. People chase uh, what some people call the hot hand. You know, so they look at what's hot now. And they pile money into it. And this is uh, the herd phenomenon that happens with brokers and it happens with investment advisors and it happens with the general investing public. You don't chase performance. You, so would you, you do the invest- exact opposite? Would you look for the cold hand and the one that's uh, doing terribly we, and, we and buy the ones do. because they're out of favor? Yeah, we sometimes do. Uh, we sometimes do. Certainly that's uh, one of the things Warren Buffett teaches us um, to, to buy when other people are running away from an investment. Uh, we don't always do that. But you don't simply invest based on a chart that says, you know, here are the top uh, performers for the last month or quarter or even year, because there's a reason why. And the reason might be that it took more risk than you, Mr. or Ms. Investor, might be comfortable with. So you can't just pick up a magazine or a chart or, or a TV show and look at a, a ranking and say, ah, that's for me. No, you have to understand the underlying story behind it. So then another of your tips is people are either over-diversified or under-diversified. How do you get the correct level of diversification? Well, um, let's talk about under-diversified. I I sometimes will get a client who will have uh, five or six stocks that they inherited, and they basically have done nothing with it. And uh, as I know you know, Jordan, anything could happen to any company at any time, no matter what that company is. There can suddenly be a scandal or a product liability issue or a CEO who, who dies um, you have to be broadly diversified. And uh, in terms of stocks, I say, and I think I'm, I'm uh, not alone here, if you're going to have stocks, you have to have at least 30 or 40, maybe more. And that ain't easy to follow, which is why we recommend that people be in no-load mutual funds, which automatically give you diversification. So, you know, that, that quick and dirty tip is, Number three, being over-diversified or under-diversified. You can be over-diversified, and I see that more often. People will have 30 or 40 different mutual funds. Now, each one of those mutual funds has 
100, 300, 500 different securities inside that fund. If you have 30 or 40 or 50, and I've seen that, mutual funds, what's the point? You've bought everything. You know, yeah. so you can't be over diversified nor under diversified. You have to have, you know, you have to be Goldilocks and get what is just right for you. And then you said buy on price, not value. What do you mean by that? Well, um, that that's really uh, more for for stock investors. Uh, so you want to look at, uh, you know, that was thrown in there because I knew I was writing for some people who, no matter what I say, are going to buy a stock and. Uh, and 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 uh, so I threw that in there, but I'm really I would just as soon skip that one because eh, I'm not a big fan of that. I wrote it because uh, my co-writer said we should have it there. It basically said um, you, you don't look at a price of a stock. I mean, I know a lot of people who say if the stock drops under ten dollars, I'm going to buy a lot of uh, cheap stock. No, you buy if it's a value, whether it's ten dollars or a hundred dollars. It's either a good value or it's not a good value. You're not going to buy uh, something just based on the actual dollar amount that's listed in the, in the Wall Street Journal for that day. And then you have did I go through that, being, did I do that quick, being too, quickly? too aggressive Sorry. or being not aggressive enough. How do you get the right level of aggression in being an investor? Again, this is, and I know people are tuning in and tuning out throughout the uh, discussion, but uh, it goes back to that filling out that uh, confidential investor profile that we work with every client to do. Uh, everybody is different, and everybody's stage of life is going to be different, and everybody's financial situation is going to be different. So it takes a little bit of sitting down, figuring out where you are in your lifetime, in your investment history, where your family is, what your goals are. And uh, you, if you're going to be too uh, aggressive, you can get burned badly. But if you're not aggressive enough, if you're not taking some risk, you're going to be, like these days, as you said earlier, earning uh, you know, 0.1% after taxes and inflation, you fall behind in purchasing power, and then you're, you're in big trouble over the long run. So it's always a Goldilocks of being just right for you in terms of you've got to have some risk, but you can't be too conservative. You, know, you have to have a, find a nice balance between being aggressive and being a rock-solid conservative. Too conservative is just as dangerous as being too aggressive. You have a whole chapter, which is actually Chapter 7, on why are you buying into a big promise? And you talk about all the different ways that people have hyped claims, whether it be emails or on TV or advertising or newsletters. How do you sort through what's real and what you should act on versus what's hype and, and what you should stay away from? Yeah, um, and, and again, this is one of my longer chapters, and I, and I really like this chapter because if there's one of the things that – well, this chapter and the next one, which is why do you believe marketing hype – um, it's just we see so many examples uh, now that, you know, Jordan, when I started in the business, we had to send out mailings, and, and we really had to think twice about what we put in the mail because it was expensive. You would have uh, uh, writers, and then you'd have designers, and then, of course, the mail costs of printing and, and mailing. Now, with the click of a mouse, you can send out tens of thousands of emails for no cost at all. So so people are making promises that uh, – you know, are just in the stratosphere. And so people, the uninitiated, the unsophisticated investor has to be extremely wary of, of what's out there. And uh, I, I talk about myself uh, almost getting sucked into one. Uh, I, I went to a timeshare session just for, the, just for the experience of it down in Aruba. And I, and I give a moment-by-moment a, a moment, moment, uh, accounting of what went on at that session. And how I started to waver. 
despite all the advice I've give, given clients. And then luckily I stepped back and said, wait one minute here. And then I realized there were a ton of red flags in that uh, timeshare pitch. And uh, we ended up, of course, not signing. But boy, um, professional salespeople, whether it's brokers or insurance people or, or anybody else who is trained in the art of getting you to separate from your money, um, they are trained in how to do that, in how to build up a sense of confidence and or a sense of urgency and or a sense of trust, uh, you know, and, and a sense of uh, this is a great investment. Why can't you see this? You know, you so, have, so it's, it's the education that's important of understanding what you're doing. You do have several chapters on picking financial advisors on the problem with stockbrokers, um, and then how to pick the right financial advisors. How, how, what is the right way to pick a financial advisor who really is going to be helpful to you? That is a difficult question. It's probably one of the most difficult questions I'm asked. Uh, at the very minimum, uh, I recommend, and, I, and look, I'm not a fan of stockbrokers, even though I have people in my family who, uh, who do this for a living. Let me parentheses, no one calls themselves a stockbroker any longer. You never see that word on a business card. Now everyone is uh, an investment consultant or a vice president of investments or something like that. No one says they're a stockbroker. But generally speaking, if they work for big, one of the bigger firms, um, they are brokers. If they get a commission based on a transaction, they are brokers. So at the very minimum, I counsel people to try and be with a registered investment advisor, registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, that's what I am. There's 30,000 of us out there in the, in the United States. Um, we automatically have what's called the, a fiduciary responsibility to our client. Let me explain what fiduciary means. It simply means that we must, by SEC regulation, put our client's interests ahead of our own, a broker. This may change in the next six months or a year or two years, depending on what happens in Washington. But as of now, a broker is only obligated to put you, the client, into, quote, suitable investments. So that means that there's mutual fund A and mutual fund B that are both suitable for you, Mr. Client. Uh, but, but mutual fund B pays the broker a bigger commission. He is allowed to put you into that uh, mutual fund B, earn himself a bigger commission, even though mutual fund A is just as good but doesn't pay him a commission or pays him a lesser commission. Most of people like myself, registered investment advisors, most of us earn no commission. We have a straight fee of assets under management, roughly in the 1% range. So whether we trade for our clients, for example, once a day or once a year, it doesn't add one penny to our bottom line. We only do you think do that's what... a good idea to expand the fiduciary standard as the Department of Labor is proposing uh, to financial advisors that do not that just now have the suitability requirements? Do I think it's a good idea? I think it's a no-brainer. There's tremendous and, resistance to it, tremendous resistance from the state. And go ahead, Jordan. Tell me who's resisting it. Well, stockbrokers and people who I don't know, know you know. <laughs> I know you know the answer. Uh, it's the stockbroker industry. And they are telling uh, Washington, you can't pass this because it will confuse uh, the, the clients. It'll... Um, uh, they won't be able to get good advice. They, they throw up all kinds of smoke screens. But people like me who have been doing this for 25 years know that that's nonsense. So um, this is another example of people saying, oh, Washington involvement. There are actually a series of TV commercials 
against the uh, regulation, the proposed regulation, playing on various uh, TV stations out there, um, trying to get people to write into their senators and congressmen saying, don't pass this. It should be passed. Uh, everybody should have a fiduciary responsibility if they help other people invest their hard-earned money. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Ken Weber. Uh, he is an asset manager. Uh, his w- firm is called Weber Asset Management, where he manages um, money moving around in different fidelity mutual funds. His new book is called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Ken Weber. He is the, managing, the president of Weber Asset Management, which manages Fidelity Funds. He has no affiliation with Fidelity, but he only moves the money amongst Fidelity Funds. His book is called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money. His website is Weber Asset, with a 1B, WeberAsset.com. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Thank you, Jordan. It's been fun. In, in the book, you talk about uh, several things I want to talk about briefly. Hedge funds. Now, people hear a lot about hedge funds. They can go long. They can go short. They can beat the market, and nobody's, even if the market's going down. What are the pros and cons of, of going to hedge funds? Um, 
there's, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, it's mostly cons, uh, and I use that in two senses of the word. Um, hedge funds can have a great track record, or they can kill you. The typical phrase in the hedge fund industry is 2 and 20. That means they charge 2%. For example, our management fee is roughly in the 1% range. Uh, they charge 2%, so it's double right off the bat. And 20, 2 and 20, there's a 20% means if they make any profits for you, they uh, get 20% of the profits. Some hedge funds are 2 and 30, some are actually 2 and 50. There, there are some hedge funds that get 50% of any profits. But um, they're so bad, why do so many particularly smart institutional investors put literally trillions of dollars into hedge funds? The answer to that is really easy to answer these days. It wasn't a year or two ago. <clears throat> that trend is reversing very rapidly. Uh, lots and lots of uh, major uh, institutions, uh, uh, pension plans, state pension plans, and, and corporate pension plans are rapidly pulling their money out of pension funds, uh, realizing you know the odds of them being in the fund. There's thousands of hedge funds now. Uh, the hedge fund uh, managers become very wealthy uh, because of the two and twenty. Um, and a hedge fund can have two or three or five great years, and then they can implode because they're trying riskier strategies. We have the case of uh, long-term capital management. Um, some of the smartest, brightest people in the world, Nobel Prize-winning economists were on the board, and that uh, hedge fund was doing great until it almost brought down the entire financial system uh, back in the, what was it, 1990s. Um, so... Yeah, hedge funds, and they're not transparent. You can't really see what they're doing. They're not liquid. You can't get your money in and out the way you can with a, t a traditional no-load mutual fund. Uh, if the person wants to invest in them, and the average person cannot, you have to be what's called an accredited investor where you have a certain uh, level of assets. Uh, you want to go into it? Go ahead. Be my guest. I wouldn't touch them. I can certainly uh, afford to, uh, to be in them. I wouldn't go near them. And, then and by the way, in my book, I publish uh, some studies, recent, and there are more recent ones, to show that the average hedge funds are, are not doing well lately at all. Yeah. And then you have a chapter on annuities, particularly variable annuities, where you're, in effect, investing in stocks and mutual funds through annuities. What are the pros and cons of annuities? Annuities can be a part of a, a smart investment portfolio, but uh, please be aware that most mutual, uh, annuities are, as we say in the industry, uh, they're sold, they're not bought, meaning there is a salesperson involved. Here's the big secret that I <laughs> realized myself a number of years ago that I gladly share with you and your listeners. Uh, let's say the stock market we mentioned earlier uh, it, it may, for the next 20 years, produce a return of 6 to 7% annualized. Um, and let's say the bond market will produce a return of uh, two or three percent annualized over the next fifteen or twenty years. That's what you can get if you get into the market, the stock market or the bond market. The annuity firm has to deal with those same numbers, that six or seven and that two or three. They cannot get money from a stone or blood from a stone. So they're going to look at those same numbers, and then they have to charge uh, mortality expense ratios, meaning they have to say, uh, there's the insurance wrapper that goes around it. So they have to say, uh, based on what the, the actuarial tell, tables tell them, how do we make a profit after accounting for all the promises we make to people in this annuity? So they have to have layers of expenses on top of what the stock or bond mark, market will expect to be expected to pay out. You as an individual investor can just go directly into the stock market through good no-load mutual funds uh, without paying all the extra expenses. So um, it can be a good uh, 
uh, investment because it gives you uh, a good uh, guaranteed income stream. But you want to do your homework. Uh, you want to be in some of the lowest cost um, annuities. Um, if we were talking one-on-one on the phone, I would give you some names, but I'm not going to do that now, obviously. Um, but so just do your homework and really dig down and find out what the true fees are in the, in the annuity. At the end of the, your book, uh, you have book, talk about the path ahead. We've talked a lot about the things you shouldn't be doing, but let's right. go through some of the things that you should be doing. Uh, right. You certainly are a big fan of mutual funds compared to buying individual stocks and bonds, particularly right. in the very volatile environment we're in today. Why is that more true now than ever in your mind? Oh, it's always been true. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years, and uh, I own a handful of stocks myself, <clears throat> but uh, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, my nest egg is in broadly diversified mutual funds. Um, every day, there are literally thousands of uh, influences on the, pri- on the stock market and individual stocks, and we can't know, no matter how smart you are, no matter how smart your computers are, we cannot know all the uh, forces buffeting the, uh, the, the, the Warren Buffett, no, uh, blowing around the stock prices this way and that. So you want to be broadly diversified. I want people to be in, in well-diversified mutual funds uh, with low costs. Um, if you're not going to work with an investment advisor uh, or follow a good newsletter like Fidelity Monitor and Insight or, or some of the others that are out there, uh, you want to be in index funds, low-cost index funds from firms like Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard. Um, but the problem with index funds is they're not a one-size-fits-all answer as well, because an index fund, okay, if you make that decision, which index fund? How much? Uh, if you're just in the uh, Standard & Poor's 500 index, understand that you're basically invested in large-cap growth stocks, well, maybe you should be in mid-cap and small-cap, and maybe you should have some international exposure. And again, what that means is your decision about uh, just being index funds may or may not be right for you. You want to do your homework. Uh, since we have a little bit of time left, just maybe give us one or two of the recent recommendations you've given within Fidelity Funds. What are some of the ones you think are particularly good to get into right now for a growth-oriented investor? Oh, well, you know, I'm not... Uh, I always, uh, I, I will give you the answer, but um, these are the snapshot of where Weber Asset is right now, today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could change in a month. So, That's for fun. example, uh, for a long-term investor, uh, one of my favorite growth uh, funds at Fidelity is Fidelity Blue Chip Growth. Mm-hmm. Another one is, one is Fidelity Disciplined Equity. Uh, if you're going to be in a bond fund, I like Fidelity Total Bond Fund. Uh, bonds are... Uh, Well, you know, they're in a precarious situation, but we still like bonds because they're going to give you some uh, uh, downside protection for sure. They are ballast for your your portfolio in a current situation. And a fund like Fidelity Total Bond, if and when interest rates go up, it'll be collecting the higher uh, coupon rate. So a broadly-based fund like Fidelity Total Bond, I think, is a smart investment uh, as part of a broadly diversified portfolio. When a fund manager changes at a Fidelity fund, a, a big one like uh, Peter Lynch leaving Magellan or something like that, do you often uh, put a hold in that fund until you see the new portfolio manager's uh, record? We don't. That's a great question. And I've never been asked that question, but it's a great question. Um, it shows you've been around the block. <laughs> uh, the answer is we don't jump uh, immediately for a couple of reasons. One, it takes 
months, if not a year or two, for the new portfolio manager to transition to his or her way of thinking. So, you know, nothing's going to happen overnight. And two, uh, in the case of Fidelity, they basically pick the best and the brightest uh, to begin with out of the best and brightest colleges, uh, and they train them for years. Whoever they put in to take over any particular mutual fund has been vetted and has proven himself or herself as a smart stock picker or bond picker. And so, in general, we like to give them the benefit of the doubt, but we do uh, certainly give them some extra scrutiny. Very good. Well, thanks so much. Uh, We've enjoyed this uh, very much. My guest this hour has been Ken Weber. Uh, He is the managing uh, person at Weber Asset Management. You can find out more at his website, Weber, W-E-B-E-R, asset.com. His book is called Dear Investor, What the Hell Are You Doing? Smart and Easy Ways to Fix the Mistakes You Make with Your Money. We've learned a lot about the mistakes people make and also some of the things they can do uh, correctly. So thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Ken. Jordan, this was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again. We'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.